This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 256 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I enunciate it. Horror. Horror, shall right. Good job, babe. You get an A plus for pronunciation. <laughs> You're goofy. <laughs> well, Tracy. What? We got a fun show tonight. It's also one of those shows that has like three or four commercials. Just telling people ahead of time. Forgive us. Don't, don't freak out on us. Please. We try to have some fun with them and but we pre-recorded them. So, all right. First of all, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country they represent. Um, I, I, I want to add to this because we got an email last week from somebody that misunderstood I'm not blasting the person. I'm just no, saying not at all. we we said this one time a long time ago when this got brought up. When we say we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, we're basically talking about our allies. We're talking about our service men and women who are all over the world. Mm-hmm. But then also, you know, Canada's uh, military. There, that's that's our allies. We're talking about. Uh, United Kingdom, all those the countries over in the United Kingdom, they're you know military. We're not talking about North Korea. We're not talking about China's military that are you know or or Russia's military. That's not what we're talking about. So we're not meaning you know that we're taking people that are trying to do harm to the United States and our allies. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about us and our, our people. Yeah. So just so nobody's confused on what that actually means when we say all of our military, no matter which country you represent. I know that could be confusing, but we mean oh, yeah. our ally countries, not the yes. not the bad countries. And he was very grateful that you explained that to him. Yes. So, so. yay. All right. Also, we want to do a mention, obviously, that uh, lots of people are struggling mentally right now, even though things are starting to kind of open up and they're doing away with masks and all that. Woo-hoo! There are still people... That uh, have struggled over the last year, and it's not going to be something they just snap right out of. Yeah, I mean, it's been a tough year for everybody. That's for dang sure. So we just want to make sure that people know that we are accessible to you if you need to talk to somebody. We have people every week that write to us, and uh, we do our best to try to accommodate anybody who writes to us or sends us any kind of message through Mm -hmm. messenger or email, whatever the case may be. If you need to contact us, we're here for you. And obviously the group is there. It's over 5,000 people willing to help you. If uh, you just need to talk to somebody, no matter what time of day it is, there's always somebody there mm-hmm. who's up and willing to listen. That's absolutely the truth. If you guys want to go a different route, you can call the 800 number at 273-8255. You can also text at 741-741. But please reach out to somebody. 
As usual, this episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. It is the number one habanero-based hot sauce in the United States. Top 10 out of all hot sauces, no matter what they're made of. Even <laughs> if they're made out of uh, paper mache, it's in the top 10. Hey, what do you say? <laughs> paper mache. But absolutely love it. I'm I'm huge on the chipotle, which I know is probably not the most popular of their sauces because it's, you know, it's yeah. different. It's actually yeah. not made out of habanero. Made out no, of Chipotle. That's very true. But I love it because it's just got that smoky flavor and mm-hmm. it's just different than any other hot sauce I've ever tried. But they have seven different flavors. I know why you like it. Why? Because you think you're smoking hot. I don't think. You know it. Fact. Fact. Anyways. That's hot. <laughs> we we get to where we take, I take the, anywhere I go with me and we keep it in the glove box. Yeah. It's probably not, I don't know if you're I don't know, it's it probably not a good box. idea, probably but. Not. But we take it, like last night we had some quesadillas where we were and they had some mm-hmm. potato, uh, what do you call them, potato skins. Potato skins. And mm-hmm. I put it on both of them. So. That's good. And every time we bring it to a restaurant, somebody always like, what is that? Mm, yeah. And then I go into commercial <laughs> mode. She's like, but why anyway. are you bringing your own hot sauce? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you can get your own El Yucateco hot sauce and gear, t-shirts, hats, what have you. At com, put in Hillbilly Horror, all one word, and you're going to save 10% off your total package. You are the total package, babe. See, again, it all comes back to me. Hot stuff. All right. Thank you guys so much for supporting El Yucateco. Yes, they thank are you always guys so telling much. us that you guys send messages and stuff like that, and that's awesome. That is so nice of you guys. You, I mean, you guys are literally the best people ever. Yeah, and don't forget to send us pictures and stuff with your OU Yeah, it's so those fun. Things, and OU Kateko gets a big kick out of that. Oh, yeah, they do. Okay. Are you ready to jump into the story? I am so ready. I can't stand myself. As I often do, and by often I mean about once every six months, <laughs> <laughs> I go through... The stories that we've done, and I try to say, what states have we not really done stories in? And I I don't think we've done one in Hawaii yet, so I'm going to have to come up with something in Hawaii. Uh, Most of the stuff that's in Hawaii is, um, I remember this one story about grabbing an idol and bringing it home. Um, Hello, that's a Brady Bunch. Okay, then we won't do that one. Yes. That's probably not true. I don't know. But, they had a lot of bad luck. I'm just yeah, saying. I remember the spider. Anyway. Oh, yeah. And that music. Remember how he says that music when it's like something like the spider crawling on green? It's like. Oh, yeah. Anyways. So I'm about to come up with something in Hawaii. But I think I found another state that we really haven't done anything on as far as the main show. And that's Alaska. That is so freaking weird that you said that. In my brain, in my mind, I was thinking Juneau, Alaska. Is that is so weird? Of course, weird. I know Alaska. <laughs> oh, whatever. You're fine. <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? Of every place in the world, I honestly, God, I was sitting here thinking that. Well, and sadly enough, this story is actually in Juneau, Alaska. <gasps> yeah. You all, I didn't know. I didn't know. I got ESPN. <laughs> This is crazy. So anyway, back on the the Patreon episodes, we did the Red Onion Saloon. That's it. That's in Alaska. That's you, haunted. Why would you name a saloon Red Onion? <laughs> I don't know. But we did that one, and we talked about that giant igloo hotel that was. They started building it, but they never finished it. And then it was abandoned. We talked about it. I can't believe we, this is a story. I can't believe you're still on it. I can't believe that I like, like I knew it, but I didn't know. <laughs> Do you feel me? I'm so excited. Go so, ahead, Red so, Onion Head. 
Tonight, we're going to learn about the oldest operating hotel in Alaska, the Alaskan Hotel and Bar. Oh, how original. Yeah. Well, at the time. <laughs> I guess that's what you call it. At the time, it was. So I, <laughs> I have to admit, this was a new location for me. I, I was not aware that it existed until last week, but it's actually a pretty, pretty well-known haunted location. And it's been featured on on a couple of uh, of the the big shows out there. One of which is Portals to Hell with uh, Jack Osborne, mm-hmm. and Katrina Weidman. Is it Weidman? Doesn't matter. I think it's Weed. Anyway, Wide Weed, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk more about them and that show later because there's an actual. I, I saved that kind of towards the end because it fit better there. So let's get into some history. Of this beautiful hotel and bar, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, I bet it is. The Alaskan Hotel and Bar was built in 1913, and it opened on September 16th of that same year in Juneau, Alaska. It only took five months to construct, which I found completely fascinating for that time period. 1913, you're in Alaska. Uh, I'm sure they have their fair share of bad weather, even in the summertime, and to be able to build this building in five months. Well, I I guess they had to. Do the people well, freeze their nuts off in there? Well, I think they probably did have to because when by the time it finished up, it was getting, you know, September. Yeah, that's, and yeah. That's, it was probably starting to get kind of bad. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the year, I mean, you might have to wait till probably April or May to start on it again. So I guess they had all hands on deck, mm-hmm. so to speak. Anyways, this hotel is an excellent example of the architectural transitional change that was taking place between the 19th and the 20th century. You have to know a little bit about the area at this time to kind of realize the necessity of this hotel. So Alaska at this point in time was experiencing a gold rush. Juneau had been developing as a frontier mining camp with this really large tent city, but very few hotels. Can I try to talk over top of Ninja? But they had this really large tent city out there, but they had very few hotels to accommodate the city. And considering how quickly they were and massively they were growing, they really needed something quick. So are you talking like they're like, like literally tents? Yes. How do, how do they survive in tents? Well, in the summertime, well, you got to realize so many people think Alaska and they think it's like Antarctica or something. Alaska, I bet if I looked up the temperature in Alaska right now, it's probably almost as hot as it is here. Oh, I guess. So, I mean, the winters are a little bit harder. and They probably start a little bit sooner. But for as far as the summer months, I mean, it's it's going to be fine. It's probably going to be super warm and, and no different. So, okay. it really wouldn't make that big of a difference up there okay, in gotcha. that time. But... You know, and a lot of these people probably weren't staying for long periods of time. They were staying three, four, five months, and there you go. Mm-hmm. But that's where the the brothers James and John McCloskey and a promoter by the name of Jules Bicaro joined forces. The McCloskey brothers were veteran Canadian miners. They'd been doing this for a long time, and they had finally struck it rich. So they had some money. And they used some of that money to acquire a prime location close to the steamship dock and the business district. There was this huge grand opening when they finally opened the hotel. 
there was champagne, there were two bands playing, and they really wanted to show off the hotel because, according to many, even though it wasn't a huge hotel, it was actually one of the nicest hotels on the entire Pacific Coast. Wow. That's nice. The hotel had steam heat and a wireless one and a half kilowatt station on the roof. I guess like a radio station. Oh, okay. To be able to reach out. That was like their version of Wi-Fi. Like oh, yeah. 1913. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The hotel has this grand Victorian bay windows, plush interior, and it's done in a late uh, Victorian Queen Anne style. There was a time, believe it or not, as beautiful as this place is even today, in 1978, when the hotel was condemned. Wait, what year was it condemned? 1978. Okay. But that's when it was bought by Mike and Betty Adams, and they completely restored the hotel to its original Queen Anne style. Oh, nice. The hotel was placed on the National Historic Places on October 25th of 1978. So it went from being condemned to being put on the National Historic Register. Isn't that something? Betty's owned the hotel for right around 45 years now, and her son Joshua Adams helps her run the hotel. But he may be a part of the reason for some of the paranormal activity going on. And we're going to talk more about that a little bit later as well. He's alive though, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to get, in, like I said, into that a little bit later. It's about the time we do the Katrina and, and Jack Osborne stuff. Just a few other quick little historical notes, and then we'll get on to the famous legends of the Alaskan Hotel. The Alaskan was built just a year after Alaska became a U.S. territory. Of course, Alaska did not become a state until 1959, but just like Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands and Guam, it was a territory before that. In 1918, during Prohibition, much like the White Eagle Saloon that we did uh, a couple months ago, it was turned into a cafe and soda shop during that time. No alcohol. Oh, that's fun, though. The hotel was also a brothel twice. The first time was illegal, and the second time was not legal. So apparently, at some point in time, prostitution was legal. You could get your freak on. At that point on. What are you, Missy Elliott? Get your freak on. <laughs> In the <an> igloo. <laughs> <laughs> so going into chronological order, we're going to talk about the first legend of the hotel. And this is the story of Alice. Not the Brady Bunch Alice. Oh, I thought you were going to slip her in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As with many of these types of stories, there uh, may be no truth or maybe just a little truth involved in the legend. There are some people that swear that this story is 100% fact. Oh. So, I don't know how much of it is fact or not. I tried to look up a bunch of different uh, aspects of it, and everything pretty much pointed me the same same state, or the same storyline. So, okay. But I didn't find any last name, for example, of Alice or any of that. So, take it with a grain of salt. Maybe Nanya. Could be. You know? The basic story is that Alice was this young woman. She was in her late teens, early 20s. She married a man in San Francisco, California, and they were going to immediately get on a steamship and head to Juneau, Alaska to try to strike it rich. Like I said, this was when the gold yeah. was was 
prime for the take-in. Well, yeah, and, when it was popping. And, you know, and if I guess if you live in California, Alaska's not as far. Even, you know, San Francisco to Alaska's still pretty damn far. So apparently this man had a bit of a reputation for being violent, especially when he was drinking. Alice was repeatedly warned by friends and family members not to marry this man, and especially don't move away with him, away from your friends yeah. and family. Alice felt, though, that most of this was set out of jealousy. After all, she was, in her opinion, soon going to be rich, and she was going to be, uh, you know, a socialite compared to what her friends and family were. So, after just one month of being married, the two embarked on their three-week journey to Alaska on a steamship. Once they got there, they set up their tent at the foothills of Gold Creek. Within a few days, her husband left. He had his little gold pan, mining pan, mm-hmm. in, in, and there was enough supplies to last him for two weeks. Clothes and uh, food, food. whatever mm-hmm. provisions it would take to last him for two weeks. So he should have been back by that time. Two weeks pass, and then three weeks pass, then four, then six weeks pass. Well, at this point, it's assumed that her husband has met his demise in the harsh Alaska terrain, and he's dead. Everybody around felt like... He's dead, Jim. He's dead. And they're telling her he's he's not coming back. There was also a local lore at this time about the shapeshifter by the name of Kushtaka. And Kushtaka translates to Land Otter Man. So the natives around town felt like there was this uh, creature that was part man, part otter. Otters are cute. They are. This one probably not, though, because the Kushtaka (laughs) was rumored to lead men astray deep into the woods, and then they were never seen again. So they ate him? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. You ought to know. Let's <laughs> ask Alanis Morissette. Mm. She's from Canada. That's close to Alaska. Yeah. So Alice, during this time, she feels that her husband's dead. And she's in Alaska. No friends or family. She has no money. And at this point, she decides that, hey, I'm young. I'm an attractive young woman. I'm in an area with a lot of prospectors who have gold. So she's going to start hoeing around. Yes. She made the choice to be a lady of the night or day, basically, whenever the men's time and money was free. Could be day. She was making lots more money than she could have ever imagined. And she thought that, you know, I can live extravagantly for two weeks on what I make on one night's pay. So, she started staying at the Alaskan hotel rather than live in a tent. I don't blame her. Especially if you're in a tent. You probably have to have to give something like a discount or something. I would just think. <laughs> it's starting to be September or October. It's cold. Now you're in a, you know, it's just not going to work. Why, so because it shrivels up? Well, yeah, shrinkage. <laughs> is, it's a real thing. So on one particular evening, she's looking around and she's looking hot. I mean, she's got this brand new white gown on. Mm-hmm. She's looking like the cat's meow. That's what the kids say today, right? The cat's meow. Anyways, 
she's in the club. Everybody's looking at her. But she's got this one guy who's regular. She really likes. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to just keep hitting my regulars. I'm going to do this for a short time. I'm going to get as much money as possible. And then I'm going back to California. Like Zeppelin. Going to California. Mm-hmm. So she's got this beautiful dress on. She grabs her regular. She goes upstairs. And, uh, you know, they're, you know, they're doing whatever. Whatever people Ow, do in that situation. Wow, wow. Yeah. Now, keep in mind... She's got these thoughts going through her head, not of what she's doing. Yeah, what she's she's wants got to the do. thoughts of, hey, short time. I just got to get through this. You know, I'm making money. So on this night, Alice was allowing her client to conduct business that he had paid for, and unbeknownst to Alice or the young man, there was a commotion starting downstairs. Bottles were being thrown against the walls. There were women screaming. And then there were heavy, angry, stomping footsteps coming up the stairs. Oh, was it women coming to get her? No. Oh. Alice and the young man were in their own little world, so they don't hear the footsteps. Some good loving there. Yeah. Until a man holding a pistol kicks in the door. And I don't care what you're doing, that will definitely get your attention. Well, yeah. Kind of runs the mood a little bit. Yeah, well, and it's rude to ask the guy to hold off on trying to shoot somebody um, until you finish. So, anyways. Any guess as to who it was that kicked in the door? Yep. Who? Her husband. Or her husband. Yep, her husband. After three months of surviving in the freezing temperatures... He had come up empty on his quest for gold. He wanted only to be comforted by his wife, a wife that he was told was now a prostitute. Well, I mean, can you not send some kind of message to her saying, hey, honey, I'm hanging out here for another month or so? You would think. I mean, so that's on him. So not only is he told that she's a prostitute, he's then also told... Hey, she's up in room 219. That was her room. And that's where she liked to conduct business. So, he bursts through the room and he shoots the young man point blank in the head. Mm. It's not his fault. This soaked her beautiful white dress in blood. He then shoots Alice in the heart. Before turning the gun on himself. I mean, he didn't even get a chance to talk. Why, can you not say... 19, 1913, I don't think there's going to be a lot of talking done about... I mean, that, that he should have let her at least explain. Honey, well, I thought you were dead. I just wanted to get back to California, and this is the only way I can make money. Cut me some slack here. I don't think he was in the mood for cutting slack. Well, he should have... I mean, I get it. I understand that. Three months is really not long, really. But I guess if she feels like he was gone, then she just wants to get back to California, and this is the only way she knows how. He should have sent a carrier pigeon (laughs) or something (laughs) to say, hey, I'm still here. 
Well, this whole time he was only like a mile and a half away or something. Oh. <laughs> well, then he really deserves that because that would be dumb. So Alice's ghost has been reported by guests as well as the staff there, oftentimes seeing her in her white gown. Sometimes it's blood-soaked. Other times it's not. Of course, I wrote booed-soaked. I left out the L. <laughs> a former employee said that she would often get calls saying that Alice was in their room from pe- from guests. Others would say that they see her sitting on the bed and even more claimed that they had been touched by Alice. So. I mean, she didn't get to finish. Maybe she's like... This is true. In purgatory. And she's like, dang, I didn't get to finish my business. <laughs> and so now she touches somebody, and now she thinks maybe that'll help her. I don't know. Some have said that if you walk up the stairs, you can see her in the mirror by room 308. I don't know why room 308, but up the stairs, there's a mirror right by room 308, and people say that they see her in that mirror. Hmm. Alice has also been seen in the bar coming down the steps. Another eerie story, and I think this was kind of cool, is that some people, when they go to room 219, they see blood coming from out of the door into the hallway. Oh, wow. Now, yeah, that's a game changer. I wouldn't want to sleep in that room. It's like I said, you, you kind of got to take the story with a grain of salt, but there does this seem to be some kind of eeriness, at least about that room. Housekeepers, as a matter of fact, often find a misplaced or missing items in that room. So no matter where it goes missing from, it could mm-hmm. be missing from the kitchen, mm-hmm. it turns up in that room. Hmm. They said sometimes things will disappear in the room and then reappear in a different part while they're surrendered. So if they're, let's say they're cleaning and the uh, remote control is on the nightstand. They didn't have no remote control back in 1913. The, night, the housekeepers today. We're in the, oh, we're in the present right. now. Okay, I'm sorry. My bad. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Takes me back to the cell phones. I knew you was going to say that. <laughs> Anyways, Dang. I'm going to play that episode again. No, you're not. I remember which one. I don't remember all these episodes, but I remember that was the Demon House <laughs> episode. Anyways, <sighs> so like they can be in there and a remote control can be in a nightstand. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go to pick it up and it's gone, but then it'll be somewhere else in the room. So that happens on a fairly regular basis while they're in there cleaning. Most said that they described the feeling of dread while they're in the room with several reporting nauseousness and dizziness while they're in the room. And then when they leave, they're fine. It just happens. Hmm. One of the front desk workers said that it was always cold in that room and that they would always get goosebumps while walking up to the room. Just the thought of going there was eerie. That's pretty creepy. This employee thinks that there are a few ghosts there. This employee, I keep saying this employee because I couldn't, it was like an anonymous deal, so I don't know if they were male or female. Okay. This employee said that they feel like the hotel generally is haunted because there are parts that just don't feel right. But the spirit in room 219 is the only one that they feel is unhappy or tormented. Yeah. The employee went on to say that there are parts of the hotel that just don't feel safe. That's a whole different ballgame. There's one thing to feel eerie. Eerie, but not safe. Yeah, it's another thing when you don't feel safe. Okay, so I think we can be in agreement that room 219 sounds pretty haunted. Yes. What if I told you that room 219 isn't the room 
that has gotten the most attention in the hotel. The heck else is going on up in there? <laughs> well, that would be room 315. This room also has cold spots and apparitions and moving objects like in room 219. But the occurrence that happened here on May 19th, 2007. Ooh. Yeah, fairly recent is what fascinates most people who are interested in the Alaskan Hotel and Bar as far as the paranormal side. Okay, so this story is crazy, so buckle up. Mm. I'll wait. Okay. It can be a little confusing, because I've read a bunch of different accounts of it, and some of it I'm still not 100% sure on, but I'm going to tell you, and I'm just going to tell you the parts that I don't understand. Okay. <laughs> so you'll get where I'm at. But I'll try to make it as easy as possible. May 19th, 2007, there was this naval ship. Uh, the U.S. Bunker Hill was in town. It was actually like uh, it had to do with missiles and stuff is mm -hmm. what this one does. But anyways, one of the sailors on the ship had sent an email to the hotel and said that he wanted to stay in a haunted room. So they put him in room 315 because it was haunted. So here's where it starts to get a little bit crazy. Not long after checking into the room, police are notified that there's a disturbance going on up there. Police show up. One of the officers is Juno Police Chief Chris Gifford. Now, Officer Gifford had turned on his audio recorder as soon as they arrived at the hotel at approximately 11.45 p.m. He said that there was a band playing downstairs. He remembers that. And there were people directing him upstairs. So he walks so in, there's the go. band, and they're mm -hmm. like, hey, up here, up okay. here. They get to room 315. The officer could hear people inside screaming. People, not a person. People. He knocks on the door. No one, it just keeps got, going on. Oh, it, got, it kept going? Keep going on. So they start knocking. The door was locked. So he keeps knocking. And then he hollers in there and asks the sailor, hey, are you okay? While they're knocking, this guy walks up to the officer, Gifford, and he says, um, I think the guy that you're here for just jumped out the window. <gasps> no. The room below was rented by Jill White. She was a 22-year-old AmeriCorp volunteer, and a bunch of them had rented out rooms in the hotel as well. She said that she heard yelling, but she thought it was coming from the bar downstairs. Mm -hmm. But then she heard glass shatter from above, and then her window shattered. And this is because the sailor didn't jump out the window from the third floor. He jumped through the window. On the way down, somehow, he struck the, the window that was hers and busted that. Now, part of this is because these buildings are really close to each other. I mean, almost like if you jumped out of one, you could probably almost hit the other one. There's like very little space in between the two. So he supposedly hit a couple of windows on both buildings on the way down as he jumped out. You mean out. like he ping-ponged off of the somewhat, one building? Somewhat. I mean, it was close enough where I think if he spread his legs out, he was probably going to hit both buildings. That's how close it oh was. Oh, my gosh. Right. And it's like I said, the buildings, just they were just really close. So hearing that, that the sailor, you know, might have jumped, they bust the door down. They rush inside. And what they see is astonishing. The walls were covered in blood, Gifford said. 
it was like smeared blood streaks everywhere. He said, it looked like something very bad had happened in there, and I didn't know what it was, but it didn't look normal. All he knew was that someone was three stories down that needed immediate help. So Officer Gifford uh, said that Juno is built on, this is part of one of the things that's confusing to me. Officer uh, Gifford said that Juno is built on pilings, P-I-L-I-N-G-S, and it's like a tunnel in between so some of these buildings. And if the sailor was there, he was going to have to figure out a way to get into that tunnel. That's the part I don't understand, and that's why I said it can be confusing. So I don't know what pilings are. So, if so And I know somebody's listening from Alaska because we always, it don't matter what story we do. If you can write us and tell us what that means to say, hey, the, the city is built on pilings and what they may be talking about with these tunnels, yeah. we'll appreciate it and we'll talk about it on the next show. Definitely want to know. Luckily, that wasn't the case. Because believe it or not, this sailor, after jumping through a window, hitting several other windows from a third floor, he was able to get up and walk to the street. He had injuries all over him from head to toe, according to Gifford, and he had to be medevaced out of Juno. Now, according to Betty Adams, the owner, the next morning, naval officers showed up to investigate. They didn't want any kind of publicity, so there wasn't anything on TV or in the newspaper about this incident. But that's not the end of the story. A few weeks later, the sailor's mom called Betty, and she asked her, what do you mean renting a room that's haunted? You nearly killed my son. And Betty told her, I really, really have nothing to do with that. What? Well, no. Well, I can't believe he, he lived. I know. So, was this a suicide attempt? No. Was he thrown through the window? And if so, by who? And was it Alice? Is it possible that Alice threw him out the window? Well, she could have used him and finished her business. <laughs> well, you have a one-track mind. Oh, sorry. I was just thinking. Some 14 years later, this sailor has never went public about what happened that night. He's never said a thing? No. And the thing of it is, is we know this happened. Everything we just told you is 100% true. This Bless isn't a legend. Heart. This happened. And he's never felt the need to talk about it. I mean, let's be honest. It could be paranormal. It could be drug-related. I mean, he could have been on something and imagined stuff. The combination of knowing that you're in a haunted room and if you're on some kind of drugs or hallucinogens, you could have talked yourself into thinking something's going. Who knows? Well, he's lucky. I'll tell you that. That he didn't. I don't, I don't understand how you just do that and just get up and walk away. Well, he didn't get up and walk away, but That's still. another reason why I think it's possible. Because, you know, when you're drunk or on drugs or something and you're in a car accident, you're less likely to get hurt most of the time because your body's all limber and, yeah, you know, you don't tense up. So, who knows? So, with all that being said, on Portals to Hell with Jack Osborne and Katrina Weidman, or Weidman, if they, they talked to Joshua Adams. That's Betty's son. We said we were going to talk about him. And that, you know, he's may be part to do with some paranormal activity. 
that's not Paranormal Activity. That's Ninja. Mm. Just so you know. He's so loud tonight. So when they they were talking to and I, and I saw this on an um like an extra. I don't know how much of this made it to the official episode. I didn't see the official episode, but this was like a Q and A session with Jack and Katrina. Mm-hmm. So and I know some of this stuff didn't make it to, to, on the TV show because they said so. But anyways, they're talking to Joshua Adams. He says nonchalantly that I've conjured spirits here on the property a few times, but. Uh, you know, no biggie, no biggie. <laughs> and Katrina's like, dude, oh, oh, stop. You're saying that you physically conjured. And then she says, do you know what, con- what is your definition of conjuring? And he, he's a really smart guy. He says, oh, well, you know, taking something from, you know, the other space and bringing it here. So mm-hmm. he knows exactly what he was talking about. Jack said that this didn't make it into the actual episode. But Joshua was very intelligent. He taught himself Latin. Then he kept these like journals mm-hmm. and he everything in the journal was Latin because he didn't want if somebody found it or came across it somehow to be able to know what he was writing. That does not seem normal. No, that is not normal. So the guy's learning Latin, writing in Latin and conjuring spirits. Anyways. There was one part when they were in a certain section of the hotel. I'm not really sure. Joshua, once again, nonchalantly, he just mentioned that, you know, there's a demon named Charlie. And he said that this was the area that was most active with demonic activity. When he said Charlie, Jack's EMF detector went crazy. Uh-oh. Like on the spot. Joshua then says... Yeah, Charlie's right behind you. And when he said that, it went off again. Jack said the weird thing was that before Joshua had said that, and before the EMF EMF defector went crazy, he had felt cold chills immediately before that. I'm surprised he was still sitting in that chair. (laughs) Well, he was standing up at the time. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Katrina said that this was the creepiest place that her and Jack had ever been. Out of all the places that, that they've investigated. And so spent the, they spent the night there. Jack spent the night in room 315. Oh, man. He said that he couldn't sleep. Matter of fact, he slept with the lights on. He said he felt like that he wasn't supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. And he said Katrina couldn't sleep either. She was in room 219. And she said that it was like she was in someone else's space. Wow. That's pretty deep. Yep. I mean, I'm glad they had a great experience come out of it, but that's terrifying. It was. It was. And, you know, I should have said this earlier because well, it has nothing to do with what we just talked about. But when we get finished here tonight, I've got a story by Tim Mullins that I'm going to read you that I think is really kind of cool. And then we've got uh, Tyler and Charlie from Believing the Bazaar. They've got some stories they're going to tell us. Believe in a Bizarre Podcast. So we got them on. So you guys have a, a nice, you might have some extra commercials, but you got a nice long show tonight. Trust me. Mm-hmm. All right, Trace, I'm going to read this story from Tim that's pretty cool. And I also want to remind people that I'm going to play that entire Songfinch song that I had written for your birthday. Aww. At the very end of the show. So hang in there after the guys from Believe in a Bazaar and uh, listen to this song. Okay, baby. All right. 
Tim said, Hey Jerry, this isn't a ghost story or a my car is haunted by my dead cat's uncle story. (laughs) As Jim Harold puts it, it's more of a head scratcher. As you know, my dad passed away a few months ago. I often lay in bed and try to conjure up memories from the past. Just today, which was April 11th, something suddenly slammed into my head like a cat hitting a wall chasing a laser. My dad was retired Navy. Even as a preteen, I always had a feeling that we weren't let in on everything. My dad was in the Navy, and he would leave home for months at a time. He claimed he was going to to Japan, Hawaii, Guam, and so on. And a lot of the times, I'm sure he did. But there were times that he wouldn't tell us where he was going or where he uh, when he would be home. This went on for many years, and my dad eventually retired. The whole time, never really telling us what he did in the Navy. When we did ask him, he would just shrug it off or just tell us nothing, really. I worked in a warehouse. I never bought into that. As the years moved on and my dad's health started to decline, he started to show signs of dementia. Now, I don't know if if he forgot that he had an order to stay quiet or if he just wanted to let us in on some stuff before he forgot. I remember one time he and I were talking around the dinner table. Just talking. He knew I loved science. We got to talking about oil and fossil fuels. Don't ask me why. I have no idea why, but I think he's the one that brought it up. I told him I thought it was a cool process how swamp life was so vast and plentiful that it could make so much oil over thousands of years. And then I voiced my concern and asked, what do you think will happen when we run out? He just sat there and didn't say anything. After what seemed like forever, he finally said in a very serious voice, what if I told you we would never run out? I replied, of oil? Of course we'll run out eventually. His reply was, we won't. So I asked, oh, and how's that? You know something I don't? He answered me, oil is a renewable energy source. I looked at him and laughed. I hate to inform you, Dad, but no, you're wrong. There's no new source of oil underground to renew the process of the oil. I remember clear as day now, him looking at me, with that military stone-cold look and told me, everything science has taught you about this and about many other things is wrong. Oil is a byproduct, but not from dead swamps. Oil is a byproduct of natural earth processes. If the oil companies would go back and survey their old wells, they'll discover that underground reservoirs are filling back up. I just looked at him, laughed, and told him that he needs to go back to school and take his meds. (laughs) After that day, we never really talked about it again. It was about 10 years later, though, when I was at a doctor's office and reading a magazine. I was flipping through the pages when I came across an article that read something like, Big Oil Discovers Oil Reservoirs Refilling. Oh, my gosh. It said scientists discovered that they were indeed being filled back up, but at a rate too slow to invest going back to drilling them. My mind was racing. I immediately recalled my conversation with my dad 10 years before. How in the hell did my dad know this a decade before scientists knew? To say my mind was tripping would be an understatement. A few years later, I was visiting my parents and I brought it up 
and questioned how he knew that. He looked at me and denied ever even saying it. Growing up military, I knew to not ask questions and leave it be. But all this brings up a question, a big question. Some time passed after our talk about the oil, and I remember my dad and I having another talk. My dad is in no way a conspiracist. I want to make that clear. But in this conversation, he mentioned to me how the earth was hollow. Not hollow as many people think these days. It was more like massive, huge voids in the earth. These voids have oceans, plants, animals, and a humanoid race. Now here's where things get interesting even more than it already is. He mentioned that this race had a great technology. Over the Earth's history, the human race destroyed themselves with technology. The technology we have now, they also had. But they abused the technology and destroyed themselves. Slowly the human race would repopulate, but the technology was lost. When the surface race was ready, the humanoid race from in the Earth would come and reintroduce the technology. The past civilizations had modern tools and vehicles of sorts. They could fly and use mechanical transportation, but each time they would destroy each other. So now I question everything. If if he was right on the oil, who's to say he's not right about this? Exactly what did he do in the Navy? Exactly what did he know and how much? Oh my gosh, that is wild. How cool is that story? That's so cool. Wow. So I thought that was interesting. Dang on. It definitely makes you think. Yes. And I know Tim's probably like, well, God, what else, like you said, what else did he know? <laughs> Dang. Well, thanks for sharing that, Tim. That's real interesting. All right. So, Tracy, some real quick reminders. And then we're going to get into to what you got going on over there. Um, Louisville Show. It's our five-year birthday show. I'm sure there's going to be some surprises. Brohio will be there. We will be there. A lot of friends and family members and our buddies from Louisville. We drink and we know things. Tom and Andrea Payne mm-hmm. will be there. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. We can't it, wait to see everybody. Probably not one to bring the kitties to. Probably not. We will probably be the cleanest show there. Absolutely. Well, there's no doubt we will be the cleanest show there. <laughs> <laughs> so just keep that in mind. But uh, we're all almost half sold out of the tickets already. So if you're going to get that, uh, we only have like 10 tickets left for St. Augustine, which is in September. And then we've got three shows in October. Galveston, a little special meet and greet deal, private show with Tracy and I over dinner in Memphis. And of course, uh, the, the Galveston shows with Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances. And then Leslie Fear from Because I Want to Know in Dallas. All three of those are like four days apart. Oh my gosh. In October. We and then we got Bobby Nike still. But all those tickets and for the cruise, all that is at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Go read up, see who's going to be there, see all the details, get your tickets there, and uh, let's have some fun. Sounds like a winner to me. All right. What do you got going on over there? Well, for my iTunes this week, I have Good Old Mojo Lobster, Thank You Doll, and Big Chomp 57. Thanks for your uh, awesome reviews. We appreciate you more than you'll ever know. Um, We ask that you keep the reviews coming. That helps us out. Uh, And our Patreon this week is Jeff Walniford, Angela Mendel, and Kimberly 
Breslick, I hope I said y'all's names right. Thank you for your support. It means the world to us, you guys. And um, I don't know. We just want to see everybody. That's all I know. We can't wait for these shows and all this stuff. And, like, we're just so excited. So what I'm going to do right now, thank, you, thank every one of you. It, it does not ever go unnoticed. No. I mean, we are so, so humbled and just, I don't know, it's so hard to believe, but. We're just very thankful for you guys. Morning, you just we're just thankful. I just, I don't even know what else to say. Let's listen to the guys from Believing the Bazaar, and then hang in right afterwards. I'll put the song up right after that, and uh, we'll close out the show. But first, we need to take our last sponsor break of the evening from Talkspace. Using Talkspace feels a little bit like having a therapist in your pocket. That's why being able to reach out to my therapist or my psychiatrist at any time from anywhere makes taking care of my mental health super easy. I'm more relaxed when I'm traveling, knowing that if I need to talk with my therapist, I can just send a message from wherever I am. Working through things in therapy can be tough, but connecting with my therapist isn't. I wholeheartedly recommend Talkspace for Therapy. You can sign up online and start therapy the same day as you sign up. You can text, video, or send voice messages to your licensed therapist, so it's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions from the comfort of your own home. What I especially like about Talkspace is that it's affordable. Talkspace is a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. Instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send unlimited text messages to your therapist 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and they'll engage with you daily 5 days a week. As a listener of this podcast, you're going to get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure you use the code HILLBILLY. Get your $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's HILLBILLY and Talkspace.com. T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E.com. Hey guys, I'm excited. I set this up a couple of weeks ago and I've been waiting for this one with, with bells on. Not really because that interrupts the microphone and stuff, so I don't really have bells on. But we have got Tyler and Charlie from Believing the Bazaar podcast. Guys, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having yeah, us, Thank man. you so much. We appreciate it. So for people who haven't heard your podcast, if you was to give a one paragraph on what exactly your podcast is, how would you two explain it? Oof. Uh, you want me to try and tackle this one? Yeah, you go ahead. Okay. We are, we're a paranormal comedy podcast that uh, doesn't speak down to anybody. It doesn't require any more information than what you can do on Google or Wikipedia or anything like that. But we do our best to kind of wrap these theories and conspiracies in a bow, present them to you. And then we take a step back and we look at these topics critically and we decide whether or not we find them believable. And we have a scale where it goes from believable to viable to skeptical to unbelievable. So first half the episode is like, let's talk about the story. This is crazy. I can't believe this happened. And then the last like 10 minutes is like, okay, now let's really talk about this and see what's going on here. So Charlie, let me ask you this. How do you two know each other? How did you come to be podcast hosts together on this podcast? Well, this is my favorite story. Um, I met Tyler. We met each other in college. Um, we lived in the same dorm room. Man, that was 10 years ago, by the way. <laughs> and I found out uh, that Tyler was in improv in our theater department. And that was actually my major was theater. So that's how I found out. They're mutual friends. And I kind of like stalked Tyler in the best <laughs> way to say that. And I approached him one day 
in the cafeteria. I saw him walk past me and we went past each other and I did a 360 on my or 180 on my heel. And I said, are you Tyler? I think I know you. I think we have mutual friends. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, um, do you live in uh, Gallucci Hall? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, you live with the other Tyler, right? Because that was his roommate. And he was like, yeah. And he's like, do you want my social security number too? <laughs> Dude, I think you even got the room number. You're like, it was 319, yeah, right? I didn't know. And it. that I really have no idea. <laughs> Shout out University of Akron. Yeah. So you guys are Zips. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We uh, we joined right after they won the soccer championship in 2010, but neither one of us care at all about soccer. No, that was so. their selling point, though. They're like, we're good at soccer. We're like, that's cool. I saw the all virtually applicants, all virtually all applicants are accepted. I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't have to write an essay. I don't have to take the SAT. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. LeBron's nearby. Oh, actually, he left then, but you yeah, know, it is what it is. So yeah, it has been 10 years, man. Yeah, we're old. <laughs> so you guys cover. Anything really that's bizarre. You got conspiracies, cryptids, hauntings, uh, UFO stuff. So you really do cover the whole gamut. Tyler, what are what are your favorite types of episodes to cover? Do you have a certain certain one of the categories that you like more than others? Definitely a fan of cryptids. Um, I really love cryptids. I, uh, I I don't know if it would necessarily be considered like skinwalkers. I guess that would be it, like a Navajo cryptid but that's definitely one of my favorite topics we both really like aliens um i also am a huge fan of just the conspiracy and conspiracies in general and the, the issue with the conspiracies is sometimes they aren't that scary not that we're always a scary podcast actually i would say probably more often than not we're you know we're not that scary but i love the fact that conspiracies are just so open-ended and there's so much opportunity to really dissect them but no matter how hard you try to break it down, you always leave the end of the episode like, well, who knows? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's true. You never close the book on it. Um, so I would definitely say both conspiracies and the cryptids are my favorite to cover. What about you, man? I like aliens. I, I know a fair amount about aliens. Um, I like them a lot. They're neat to me. Are you a ufologist in training? I yes, yeah. <laughs> I I almost applied it to move on once, <laughs> and they're like eighty dollars. I was like, I can't afford that right now. Eighty dollars. It was a lot. You go to move on. <laughs> It was a lot. Did you need references? <laughs> no. Um, I also really like ghosts. I like ghost stories a lot, too. I got a friend, uh, Chris Cogswell, who is a host of the Mad Scientist podcast. He actually was working for MUFON for a while. Really? Yeah. They, so he, we... he fell into a, a, a situation where they had a difference of opinion on ideology, and he decided that it wouldn't for him, and he kind of left. But, yeah. So, I've heard of the Mad Scientist podcast, actually. Yeah. That's cool. So we know at minimum he had $80. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Hopefully the disagreement wasn't like, he's like, I believe in aliens. And they're like, eh, <laughs> we just like the money. He was some kind of a, a researcher or something for, he actually had a, a pretty good position with him. So it was, uh, you That's know, awesome. but, but yeah, I think it was more of a political type deal. Uh, not oh. politics as in president type deal, but right, right. it was just, it was all about, you know, he thought they should have been doing something one way and they weren't doing it that way. And, he just decided to part ways with them. But so I, I gotta say this because I haven't we haven't even talked about this on our podcast yet. And before we jumped on the air, we were kind of talking about um pre-recording episodes and stuff. And I wish we wouldn't have, but we had to. I was in North Carolina last week, um, the Holden Beach area. I'm not there anymore, so I don't mind saying that. And I saw the craziest thing. It's not the craziest thing, but 
for that week for me it was the craziest thing. Have you ever been to North Carolina? Oh yeah, a couple times. Have you ever been to Holden Beach? I have not been to Holden Beach. I've not it, been to the coast of North Carolina. I've been towards the mountain part, more more uh, western part of North Carolina. I got gotcha. you. I love Wilmington, but that's neither here nor there. So I, I was on vacation with my wife's family. And we were playing this game inside and it was out of nowhere. I was just like, let's just go outside because the night before was a really starry night. And even though we're not in like urban area, Ohio, there's not a ton of stars that I can see from my, my yard. So when we were on the beach and it was kind of far out there, I was like, I want to take advantage of this week. So my wife and I went outside and we saw all these blinking lights, which I had seen the night before. And I was just like, those are just planes, you know, just planes flying over the ocean. It is what it is. and. And then we saw it, we saw them, and but they were like changing directions, which I've never seen a plane change directions so immediately as I saw these blinking lights where it was like going right and you'd like blink, you'd lose it, blink, you'd lose it. And then, you, you know, all of a sudden it's going the other way. So that was like the first red flag where I'm like, this is kind of strange. And, and then it does like this circle pattern and it lights up really, really bright red. And I was like, my mouth just open. I'm like, I literally just said five minutes ago, let's go outside. I, w- I was just trying to see stars. And then about two inches away from my perspective, looking at the sky, there was another really bright red light. And then it disappeared. And then another two inches in the sky, there was another really bright red light. And then it, it turned into three. It broke apart into three bright red lights and then it just disappeared completely and all the blinking lights were gone and I, I went to our social media on the podcast I'm like guys help me out what what could this have been and people were sending different ideas and and apparently there's like this satellite chain that was in the pacific northwest starlink exactly but they weren't it wasn't like so perfectly I guess you could say linked together because those ones I saw some videos I looked it up and those are like perfectly in a row. And it wasn't like that. And somebody said it could have been drones, which it could have been drones. But I don't know how they would have gotten that bright of a light that I saw. There were fireworks, but they were really far down on the other side of the, I don't know, the island, I guess you could you could say. And so then I went on YouTube and somebody else saw the blinking lights. They didn't light up red or anything, but they were like Holden Beach UFOs. I... I don't know about that. And who knows? It could have been anything, but it's like, I was not expecting to go. I was kind of using this as a time to get away from everything. You know what I mean? And then to, to go on that vacation last week, well, whenever last week from the recording of this, this episode and to actually see something, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. He called me like three minutes after too. <laughs> I did literally like two minutes after, cause I knew, I was waiting for it to light up again. And then it didn't, I was like, I got to call Charlie. And uh, and you were tired or something? I was I was exhausted. You weren't as thrilled for me as I, I was hoping. <laughs> I was so tired. I felt bad because it sounded really cool. But I was like, I, know, awesome. I was like, dude, I think I just I don't know what I just saw. There's and he's like, oh wow, really? Huh? Wow, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Is this that it? Or <laughs> but that was I was kind of crazy and uh, yeah, just a little sequitur there from your yeah alien thing. I had a listener who was uh, out fishing this past weekend. And he sent me a message yesterday and said, I'm trying to send you this video. I saw these lights in the sky. We filmed it for like five minutes and it turned out to be the the Starlink though. Oh, really? Oh, right, right. That would <clears> still <throat> yeah. be a really cool thing to see. You know what I mean? It's like, I wouldn't get, 
I'd be a tiny bit disappointed if I found out it wasn't UFO. But at the same time, that's a really incredible thing to see. Like I saw on um, the same trip, um, NASA and Virginia launched a rocket on Monday. And uh, the only reason I even knew about it was because I was on Twitter and like, because we're from Northeast Ohio and Cleveland weather something something tweeted at Erie, Pennsylvania, weather something something. And they're like, yeah, Virginia rocket. And I was like, wait, Virginia, I'm in North Carolina. That's so close. And if you could see it in Ohio. So I went out and I saw that and that was pretty cool. And I thought that would be the extent of things in the sky. But <laughs> Turns out pretty, it wasn't. No, it's was pretty sweet. So let's let's do this. You guys have tackled a subject on your show that for some people it's taboo and it's the conspiracy theory of 9-11. Oh, Ooh. I was going to say that was one of these conspiracy theories that was, I liked a lot. Oh, did I cut you off? You want to finish your question? <laughs> I mean, you know, it is kind of my show, but but go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, you know, we've covered... Uh, we don't do a lot of conspiracy. Very matter of fact, the only thing that I've really done that some people consider a conspiracy is I did a thing on the Freemasons, mm. and uh, it's the most flack we've ever gotten, and that was episode 16. Uh, so that shows how long ago it was, and I've just vowed I'm not going to do stuff like that. Now, I've heard some conspiracy theories on uh, uh, 9-11, uh, all kinds of different people talk on it. It's a very touchy subject, to say the least. Uh, with with some people, some people it's just you know practically blasphemy to even bring up the fact that the, there could be a conspiracy involved in that. Uh, same thing with the uh, Sandy Hook uh, shooting; those two seem to be the two that get the biggest pushback. So, you guys probably already knew that when you decided to do the episode. Tell me a little bit about what the thought process was about actually doing that episode. And have you gotten any pushback since? You know, weirdly enough, I think we got more pushback from the moon landing conspiracy. Um, I wanted to tackle that because I it was around 9-11 when it happened. I was like, this is something that affected my life. And it's interesting to talk about. And I feel like stuff like that, when you're scared to talk about things, it's like Voldemort. Like fear of a name is fear of the thing itself. If we can't talk about it, we can't grow. So that was my reasoning behind doing it. I remember that was one of the episodes beforehand. when Before we even started Believing in the Bazaar, when we were a different podcast, we, we met with one of our friends, Logan, and we were like, what what do you think we should stay away from? What do you think we should focus on? And Because and, one of our first episodes was us, uh, Slender Man. And he was like, well, you know, a little girl almost died because of that. You know, if you heard about that, the stabbings. And he was like, you know, be a comedy horror podcast. That's cool. But don't make fun of victims. So we kind of had that mindset already from the jump. So when Charlie, it was Charlie's episode where he presented it. And when he was like, we're going to do 9-11, we kind of had a pre-production meeting, if you want to call it that. And we were just like, we have to handle this as tactfully as possible. It's like, we're going to do due diligence and we're going to talk about the conspiracies but at the same time, we have to keep reminding throughout the episode, it doesn't matter if it's a conspiracy. The, you know, the underlying fact is it is a tragedy. No matter who caused it, no matter how it happened, it's a tragedy. Almost 3,000 people were killed. So it's a terrible thing. But it, it was kind of finding that balance of talking about these conspiracies and also reminding that it's a horrible thing. And we know that, you know, it's not. 
the conspiracy isn't greater than the tragedy. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big, big thought process. For <laughs> but the biggest flack we ever got that I've seen was uh, another cryptid. It was. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm almost afraid to say it, but I'll say it. Kushtaka. I think the Kushtaka. I think I'm saying that right. Um, I think a couple times in the episode I said Kushtaka, but it's Kushtaka. It's like these these otter people in, oh, God, Southeast. Help yeah, me out. Southeast. Oh, God. Because that was, <laughs> I said it was Southern Alaska. And this guy was like, uh, it's actually Southeast. I'm like, okay, okay. But um, that was, I think, the biggest flack we got. There must have been like a group of people that listened to it at the same time. Because like we launched it in like November in two months it was fine and then there was like this random stretch one random week where like three people were like i'm offended we don't like talking about this you mispronounce this it's not south it's southeast and but it's like i do my best to kind of put those fires out as quickly as possible i'll never be like you know screw you you know you know don't listen if you don't want to i do my best to be like you know i'm sorry we got it wrong for you you know we're doing our best um I take we try to take the time before every episode to one research it thoroughly and also if there's a word like uh, um Okiahara like the suicide forest I spent the entire day when we were recording Okiahara 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 I probably still butchered it a couple times (laughs) but you know it's like I wanted to I wanted to say like we put the time and the effort in but we're not always going to hit it and I'm always willing to own up to that but that person did say you know never ever put any of our urban legends on your stupid believability scale and i'm like all right that we're not gonna do that's like that's part of (laughs) like that's part of the podcast like i will apologize i would never ever intend to offend anybody but you know we're not going to change the format of our podcast because you know one person felt triggered do you remember anything about that that cryptid cryptid and, and and why they were so upset that you that you talked about it yeah uh yeah um basically you kind of touched on it it was like this taboo thing in their culture and we were not from that culture they felt like we shouldn't have talked about it that was one of the many reasons it's kind of like sin walkers in the same way where it's like if you're not part of that culture that tribe it's the tlingit um if you're not part of that culture they're, they're kind of like who are you to tell our story which i totally get but it's kind of like that's also why I never want our podcast to make it feel like we're experts teaching our audience. Like we're sharing the same information that if you wanted to spend two hours on a Saturday night, you could find it too. You know what I mean? Like we're mm-hmm. on your level. We're all the same having a discussion here. I never want to seem like I'm the master. Now you're learning from me because that's just not the way it is. I, you know, I don't have enough personal paranormal experiences and I'm not a ufologist. I have enough <laughs> books, but yeah, I know Marcus Parks. There was another episode we got flack for. Moon landing. Moon landing. I thought there was one more. I'm I'm very happy the minimal amount of flack that we've gotten. We do listener submission episodes, and those are always the funnest and the most terrifying. Like we have a form on our website where people can submit their own personal experiences and we'll tell it on the podcast. And some of those are the most fun because like an urban like the Jersey Devil, like it's it's tired, it's tried out, but it, people still love hearing about it. I'm not hating on it, but the, you know, it is what it is. But when somebody's like, I lived in, you know, LA and my apartment was haunted and here's what happened. There's like this very personal touch. Like I woke up and there was this shadow figure leaning in my room and then I hid under the blanket. It has that, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Where it's like, you know, in 1894, so-and-so was doing this and that. Napoleon Bonaparte's brother was hunting. 
Yeah, and in the snow, and he yeah. saw the Jersey Devil. Like, it, there's just that personal touch, and I'm always so excited to do them. And then we put out the episode, and I'm just like, God, I hope we got it right. Like, the last thing I want is the person to be like, "Wow, you kind of you kind of butchered my story there." Yeah, yeah, which we, we haven't started, done yet. We started doing a little bit of that because at one time. Uh, obviously we have a way of that I tell the story to my wife and get her reactions but it's told in a true storytelling way it's not really scripted scripted I just have my notes and go from there yeah and we occasionally get listener stories and we would just read them word for word how the listener wrote them and then I just for a while I was like what happens if I just do this the same way that I do the regular stories and you know so I we were doing that for a while and then we got a, a really nice response from the people who submitted the stories on the way that we covered them. So they, they definitely can be fun. Our uh, Patreon, the first of every month, we do a listener stories episode that's strictly on Patreon. So yeah, we, we love doing those. That's awesome. We, we actually just incorporate our Patreon where we interview the, the listeners. So the, the, their stories are part of our normal episodes, but then once per month, we'll interview that person to get more behind the scenes, how they reacted to the storytelling, if anything's happened since and so on, which they kind of dig. And, it's fun for us to kind of get because we used to do an interview style podcast kind of and that ended with believing the bazaar so to kind of get a little bit of that back again is it's kind of fun personal touch especially during these COVID times where you don't talk as much charlie what's the favorite topic that you guys have covered um i really enjoyed the flatwoods monster that's definitely one of my favorites it's one of the funniest episodes too i enjoy the comedy a lot um you mentioned you've done you did stand up for a long time. Uh, I did about a year of stand up, so I think I have some roots in comedy, and that's where that's why I think the Flatwoods Monster is one of my favorites because it was so funny, but also it was something I really didn't really know about beforehand, which is rare for Tyler to find something I didn't know about <laughs> beforehand. What about you, Tyler? Oh man. Um, I really did like the Flatwoods episode. I mean, the story itself is fun, but when we were recording no it, copies. No, 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 no <laughs> copy. And I'm sure you get a feel for this too. There's something special about an episode when you're both on, like mm -hmm. everything's hitting, you know, your feet, your, the, the energy is good. The conversation's going well. So even if I don't love the topic, I have a special fond place in my heart for the episodes where I know Charlie and I both brought it hundred percent. But I would say probably, probably my favorite episode to cover was um, Nibiru. If you're familiar, the planet that's supposed to be circling our atmosphere and is supposed to collide. It was supposed to collide in 2012 and in the 90s and stuff. And that was a personal one for me because um, I remember I was like in 10th grade in high school. And I have no idea what class this would have been for. It sounds like an awesome class looking back. But this kid did a research on why, like a project on why the world was going to end in 2012. And I'm like a 16-year-old kid. Like, oh, my God, what? Like, I only have four <laughs> years left. And uh, and one of the things he mentioned was like, yeah, there's this planet that's circling our solar system. And, uh, yeah, it's going to collide. And so you got four years left. Enjoy it. Um, he got no credit on the podcast. <laughs> no credit. Um <laughs> So obviously we're all here. It didn't happen. Although there's that theory that the world did end in 2012 and that's yeah. why things have gotten strange since then. Um, my relationship with my wife started then. Just, I argue that the world's always been strange personally. It has been. I think, you know, I don't think anything happened in 2012. 
that was the whole Mayan calendar deal, right? Yeah, correct. The Mayan calendar ended. It was supposed to be I like that explicitly because Warp Tour was a Mayan theme. Oh, year. really? Yeah, it was sick. Dude, I miss Warp Tour. I didn't go. The um the pole the poles were supposed to the switch where South was supposed to be North, and that was supposed to like disrupt the, the the crust of the Earth, and it was supposed to like basically just dissipate. So it was just gonna like gravity was gonna go away, and. I, I don't know how the the planet even fits in that. I think we joked on the podcast the planet was gonna like come by and see that the world was already exploding. It's like, all right, you guys, you guys seem to be covered here. <laughs> I think I think we're good. But it there's like I think that's why aliens are so interesting. It's like space is so hard to conceptualize because it's so big and nobody knows what's out there. So like, do you, do I believe that there's this planet that could really collide with Earth? Not really. Because I think we would see it if it was in our solar system. But at the same time, it's like, who knows? You Nobody knows if that's going to happen or if anything like that could happen. So that's that's always been one thing that has really freaked me out. And I knew it was going to be a ton of research going into it because there's just like every decade has its own like doomsayer. And so much of that was tied to Nibiru. But it always fascinated me. So I think that was one that I really, really enjoyed covering. What about as far as you guys are from the Akron area? Mm-hmm. Is there any, what, tell me a little bit about maybe some folklore from that area. Are there any, you know, what's the one place in town that everybody knows is haunted or, cause a lot of those stories we don't get on a national level, but anytime you go to a city, there's, there's always a couple of places that all the locals know. So is there a story that stands out from Akron, whether it be a haunted place or a cryptid or anything like that? You want to go first? I think LeBron haunts all of our hearts. <laughs> he won us. He won us a championship, though, so we're happy. Yeah, he no, came actually, back. Quit crying. You, you know what? You're right. You're right. Now, if this was 2010, I'd I'd be bitching a lot more. So there is actually, which we just found out about last year. There's this house on uh, on the University of Akron's campus area. Oh, yeah. It's called the Hower House, and it apparently. It allows two girls to live. And I don't know how much this is true. I hate to, to preface it with that, but we were told the story secondhand. But apparently two girls are allowed to live there for free. They just have to upkeep the house and take care of it. But apparently it is just incredibly haunted. And one of the best ways to get the house to get active. To get a reaction. Yeah, to get a reaction of the house is by having a man in the house after like eight or 10 o'clock at night. It's like 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. I know. It's it's, early. This is like a Catholic, it's old Catholic ghost. It's, it's old like, fashioned. Get them out of here. Uh, but so they would talk about how if, you know, the girls didn't take it seriously and they had a guy over, a guy spend the night, they would see all these shadows walking around the house and blinds or uh, like curtains would blow open when they were on the inside. And they would just get this overwhelming fear or sense of fear and anxiety. Um that's the closest. That's what I can think about the most in Akron. I have another Northeast Ohio one, but I'll see if you got one. Um, I got two. Um, our first episode is one that I really enjoy. Oh yeah. The the U the UFO chase to the Pennsylvania border. It's three or four police officers that ended up chasing this spaceship to the edge of Ohio. And they just cross it, and then they see the spaceship shoot off. So they go from like the middle of Ohio, roughly, to Pennsylvania, which is it's a long drive. It's like an hour or so, mm-hmm. and and they 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 the main guy he loses all credibility, 
And it's a really interesting story. Um, and the other one I have is one that was told to me a couple of years ago. And it's called The Witch's Ball. Uh, do you remember The Witch's Ball, Tyler? I do. Yeah. It's this cemetery in Brunswick, Ohio. Has this grave that is in... It's It's a giant sphere. And the rumor is that it was a woman that was uh, killed by locals because she they scared she because they were scared she's a witch and she haunts the cemetery and there's more to it than that but that's basically the summary I think of it, it was if you touch the ball and you keep your hand on it for like 10 minutes wasn't she or something supposed to run out of the woods oh yeah you? you're supposed to see like an apparition at the edge of the of the woods which is really close to the grave we drove an hour to this place charlie put his hands on it but he didn't want to do it for the full amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> like we drove an hour and I, I, you know, you, you, well, why didn't you do it, Tyler? Well, I was afraid. So I didn't do it. <laughs> so here, okay, here's another one. This is probably, so I'm actually from Ashtabula, Ohio. Which is right by the lake. Which is right by the lake, like five minutes from the lake. It was, uh, it's great. But one thing that it was known for was it's called the Ashtabula train disaster or the Ashtabula railroad disaster. We actually went investigating there, which I'll, I'll talk about in a second. But essentially back, I think it was like the 1800s, this train in December wintertime was going over this bridge over the Ashtabula River. And the bridge was built too quickly and it wasn't built securely and it collapsed. So all these all the whole train just collapsed in the river and it's winter. So some people froze to death, had hypothermia. Even the people that were able to kind of escape the cars and crawl out, got hypothermia and died. A lot of people drowned because they were trapped in the car when it went underwater. And a lot of other people actually burned to death because the lamps, the fire lamps that were in the train cars, you know, when it crashed inside the parts that maybe weren't all the way in the water caught on fire and they weren't able to escape. So there's like this whole batch of people and bodies that they couldn't identify. So this nearby cemetery, they just kind of did like a monument to honor all the bodies and they buried them there that they couldn't identify. And the engineer that constructed the bridge or he planned out how the bridge would be constructed ended up shooting himself in the head, committing suicide. So this cemetery, which is known to be haunted, has this huge monument to the bodies and also like a coliseum for his name was Collins, which was the engineer that committed suicide. So Charlie and I, I think it was two years ago now, it was yeah. before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And one of our friends went out there one night to investigate and we didn't really see much. We didn't really feel much, but when we were doing an EVP and we're not, we're not professional ghost hunters. And for us, an EVP is like, somebody's got their phone voice recorder down you know, we're, oh, how did you die? You know, stuff like that. But we're so we're standing by the Coliseum where uh, Collins, the engineer, killed himself and where that where he was buried. And it was almost I, I, possession is way, way too intense of a word. What would you how would you describe it? Like, uh, like he almost took it on or like. Yeah, like he I'd say like a light possession is fair. He had an absolute panic attack. Like our friend, we were talking about him. We were saying, do you feel guilty? You know, anything like that. And our friend literally got close to the Coliseum and just started bawling his eyes out, having a panic attack, which he's been known to have. So that's this little skepticism there. But 
his panic attacks, he would say, which he hadn't had one in a year prior, take about almost a full day to kind of recover from, or at mm-hmm. least like 12 hours. We got like maybe 50 feet away from the Coliseum and he was fine. Yeah. He was like, he was like I, that was weird. Yeah. Like I feel perfectly fine. I don't know why. And he says that he was getting, he was like picturing himself feeling that guilt, picturing himself with that sympathy and all the bodies that were lost and, and everything like that, or the lives that were lost. So that that's another Northeast Ohio. Yeah. That's probably, at least for Ashtabula, that's definitely the biggest story. You mentioned Brunswick, Ohio. Am I wrong in thinking that that's where they, the Brunswick bowling balls and pool tables and stuff come from? It seems like for some reason that's my immediate thought. I wish I had an answer for you. I actually have no idea. I'm not much of a bowler, man. Um, possibly. That would be a good thing to look up. Yeah, I, have, I, I don't have know. No idea. Yeah, I don't either. So I could be completely wrong. <laughs> All right, guys, it's been awesome ha- having you on the show. Uh, everybody, I'm telling you right now, if you haven't listened to Believe in the Bazaar, go subscribe today. Leave them a review. Tell them that Hillbilly Horror Stories sent you, so that way you know that you. They heard about the the show from listening to us in this episode. And guys, tell them how they can keep up with you on social media. Uh, You can head to Instagram. You can go to Twitter. We're not very active on Twitter, but we're there. Go to Facebook. We have a Facebook group that you can join. It's It's a lot of fun. It's private, but we accept (laughs) everybody. Um, That's where the most of the engagement is. But I would definitely say Instagram is probably our hottest platform. So that's Believing the Bizarre. Uh, we have a Patreon going. You'll probably want to actually listen to a couple episodes to see what you're getting before you join the Patreon. But a lot of extra content, uh, new episodes every single Tuesday. Uh, you can get in touch with us through either Gmail, leavingthebazaar@gmail.com, or Instagram Messenger, honestly. You can drive up to Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, and visit Charlie. <laughs> you could. I'll take you to somewhere. Where would you take him? Where, really, though, where would you take him? Um, Burntwood Tavern. Burntwood. Have you been to Crave yet? No, it's a really good taco place. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're if you search Believe in the Bazaar, I've put a lot of effort in that you'll find us. <laughs> I made sure we have visibility. But uh, also, we want to thank you for having us on Hillbilly Horror yeah, Story. It's an so honor much. to be on. And no, we, uh, we appreciate it, man. We, I'm glad you guys came on. I ran across your, your show a while back. And uh, it's like I said, it took a while to, to make this happen. But uh, I'm glad we, we finally did. I am Absolutely. Too. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you. They have such a fun show, lots of comedy and stuff built in, lots of cool subjects. I really enjoy listening to them. And and as usual, go listen, go subscribe, support these guys, just like all the other podcasts that we bring on here, and make sure you leave them a review and tell them that you heard about them on our show. Yeah, please do that, guys. It means a lot to them, and it means a lot to us when you do that as well. It does. It does. And trust me, I go look at these shows, and I look at the reviews Mm -hmm. to see how many people from from here yeah mention us in the reviews it's very much appreciated it appreciated it wait it's very much appreciated i think you were closer to being right all along and just oh anyways i think i added an extra ta-da, ta-da. i'm gonna go ahead and throw that song right here so you can listen to the full version go buy something special from song finch for somebody in your family you got it takes it only takes like five four or five days Mm -hmm. so you still have time to get your dad one if you really want to do that yeah but just the process of ordering it is kind of fun just answering all the questions Mm -hmm. and all that it's a really cool experience and i want to thank you for that honey it means the world to me thank you for doing that
You're welcome. You're like the best honey bunny ever. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) We love you guys, and we hope you all have a blessed week. Fourteen years we've been together And they've been the best years ever I'm so glad you came into my life I was hopeless till I met you But all that changed, you know it's true You really are the perfect wife You're all I ever dreamed of And I hope you know that I love you You mean everything to me, Tracy And I hope you see You are my girl, my world I'll always be right by your side Pick me up and I'm yours till the end Cause you're my best friend Yeah, you're my best friend I popped the question up on stage At the Grindstone concert that May And we tied the knot on that September day We love doing things together Just you and me forever Like a trip to the Smoky Mountains And our paranormal podcast Today we celebrate you And the amazing things you do You Everything to me, Tracy, and I hope you see You are my girl, my world I'll always be right by your side You pick me up and I'm yours till the end Cause you're my best friend Yeah, you're my best friend Yeah, today I gotta say I hope you have the best birthday You mean everything to me And I hope you see You are my girl, my world I'll always be right by your side You pick me up and I'm yours till the end You pick me up and I'm yours till the end Cause you're my best friend Oh, oh. you're my best friend